Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there, and Happy New Year, John Hancock. Welcome back to town, big boy. It's uh, so nice to have you in the same city in the same studio. It's nice to be back. And, and it's uh, Friday. It's time to start the year, man. It's the first Friday of 2024. So the biggest rumblings uh, of the start of this new year are next week there's going to be a blizzard. What? Um, they're saying Tuesday that it's going to be like some ridiculous snowstorm. They've been talking about it for over 10 days. Have they? But I, I don't know. This is one of those things mm. that they usually hype it so doggone much that by the time Tuesday comes around, we'll be lucky to get a sprinkle. Um, and, you know, then we won't listen to them on anything they say going forward. I don't know, man. If it uh, if they're saying it's going to snow, it may very well snow. I don't mind snow. I like snow. I don't you like driving snowman? in the, you know, you got the stuff and then the ice gets, you know, and your car's sliding and uh, it's dangerous out there. Yeah. And, uh, and people don't know how to drive. You know, if everybybody drove as well as I did, uh, these, well, snow, these snow events well, wouldn't, we, wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't have car insurance because uh, <laughs> all the cars would be damaged and nobody could afford it. All right. I'm not a good driver. Uh, and I don't like driving in the snow. And I don't have a car that's particularly, you know, snow friendly, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, I guess you're supposed to put those chains on your tires. Are they still doing that? I don't know, man. This is St. Louis. I mean, we don't even really get snow anymore. So we're going to get a little on Tuesday. But, I mean, do you really need all that Eight stuff? Eight inches they're talking about, right? What? Is that, how much are they talking Is that about? what you heard? I don't. I haven't heard anything. This no, I time. just think it's all, uh, I don't know. Keep it tuned to Camel X. You'll hear the hype for the next couple of days. I mean, it's not till Tuesday of next week oh, that this like potentially could happen. Days and days away so from So imagine you, you've you got like three days to go and savage your local uh, uh, schnooks and yeah. just take it down to a third world country. Boy, those people out there. Uh, the snow shoppers. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. How much bread you have to get for, well, you know, you 24 bread. hours of snow? Yeah, you do need bread. So, um, Mr. Musician Man, the music man, the piano man is coming to St. Louis, and he's bringing Sting with him. Yes. Uh, sometime in September, they're going to have their big concert there at Bush Stadium. And this is pretty much it for Billy Joel, right? I well, mean, Billy, I don't know. Billy Joel is quitting his residency at Madison Square Garden. Taking it on the road. But he's still continuing to do stuff around the country. Now, he can do a concert. He could fill that stadium by himself. Yeah, but you and put Sting in there. And now he's going to have Sting in there. Who's the bigger star? Oh, Billy Joel. Really? Yeah, but I mean, Sting is no slouch. He's... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then I guess they'll come out and sing some songs together. I would imagine. Yeah. Is Sting still doing the police stuff? It probably is. Well, he has to. He is the police, is well, he not? Yeah, but then he had a whole Sting Well, then phase. he had Sting. Yeah. But, but, but he, he was Sting... With the police, yeah, and he's also Sting with Sting. Yeah. He's always been Sting. When do you think you get to, like, do you think you or I could just start going by, like, one name? Well, we do. No, but I mean, like, Hancock Sting. And Kelly. Nobody knows what Sting's last name is. Nobody talks about Oprah other than Oprah. Beyonce. Oprah Winfrey. Beyonce. Do Beyonce you know Knowles. Be Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, who was the other one you said? Uh, uh, I don't know. Sting. Sting. Yeah. Yeah. Tell uh, us Sting's uh, other name. It's uh, Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson? Yeah. That's Sting? Uh-huh. Hey, you know some stuff. Well, I do, and I try to keep informed. Because Buddy, we have so much to talk there. about. Can you believe that we are already about to start this month voting for our presidential primary candidates up in Iowa? Well, I do believe it. Then we head to New Hampshire yes. and South Carolina, and this slide happens as we head towards November. Um, yep, you don't you don't think there's going to be any surprises? <laughs> oh, I think there's going to be surprises. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee uh, ought to tell you how crazy the world's going to be uh, to start. But as of right now, it appears as though that everybody's got their hands uh, completely inside the car. Well, we're gonna we're gonna break this down in our <clears throat> political segment uh, coming back after the, the short break here. Hey. Per point of personal privilege. Take it. Before we go. Go right ahead. Somebody who has sat in with me here with you, Paul Bosher. You know yeah, Paul. Yeah, sure. Paul's a athletic director right. out of Duchenne High School. Yeah. Happens to be my brother-in-law. Yeah. 65 years old today. today. 65. Happy birthday, Paul. Jeez, uh, can you collect Social Security when you're 65 or is that 67? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it is appropriate to call somebody know 60, snow next week. 65 a fossil, right? I mean, that's no, you're getting up there no, in ages. 65 is a new 50. 
It's it is. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. All right. Which means like ninety is the new sixty-five. That's yeah. the way that works when you start getting old. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX. All right, here it is. You asked for it, I got it. Sting. Yeah. His real name? Mm-hmm. Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Yeah, that's what I said. Four names to come up, come up with Sting. Yeah. I need to come up with a name for you, like Dirt. Like, well, you would just call you Dirt. Yeah, I, not uh, Dirt Hancock. Not, no, we don't even want Hancock. It's just going to be Dirt. Not resonating. But come up with another one. Uh, magnificent. Magnificent. That, uh, that might work. Uh, I don't know. It's I think when people sound... hear the word magnificent, I'm one of the first thoughts. It makes me think mind. of like a describing a dress. Mm. All right, John, it's time for our weekly Let's do it. political Let's uh, do it. segment. We'll take you all the way till 9 o'clock, then we'll be here joined by Amy and Chris, et cetera, et cetera. But this is our we got politics segment. And yeah. tomorrow, John Hancock, three years ago, yeah. was January 6th. You'll remember that morning. Yeah. You and I were on the phone. Yeah. You said, what's going on? I said, are you watching TV? You said, no, I'm not. We went and watched television, and boom. Uh, the beginning of what I consider to be an insurrection happened. Uh, it was a dark day in American history. President Biden is going to mark it today by launching his campaign for president and talking about democracy. Your thoughts on January 6th, three years later? Well, I mean, it was a horrible stain on the country, and um, over 100 people are in jail for their actions that day. Um Hope to never see it repeated again. Uh, and I think, you know, the Biden campaign, if there's going to be a Biden campaign, I'm still not convinced that ultimately there will be a Biden campaign. But if there's going to be a Biden campaign, uh, what they're doing today and over the weekend is they're shifting their messaging from talking about economic growth and Bidenomics. And they're now they're talking about that Donald Trump's a threat to the country. Well, and they're right. And it's far more, uh, that is a big issue. And I think that it may be the discriminator that helps him get elected. Well, that's certainly the calculus of the Biden campaign. Here's the the bigger problem, as I see it, for Democrats in 2024 in the White House contest. You guys have a huge and growing base problem, whether it is involved with the the war over in Gaza and Biden's support of Israel, which he's right about, but uh, a lot of the base Democratic voters don't like that much. There's just not a lot of passion behind him. And whatever you may think about Donald Trump, there are millions of people in this country who are passionately supporting Donald Trump. And that that base passion uh, translates in terms of voter turnout. And, and I think the Democrats are hoping that by focusing on January 6th and the threat that Donald Trump presents to the country, that that will be a sufficient condition to get their base out. I think that's the calculation there. I'm not sure that that works. No, I think it will work. Uh, Talk about a base problem. you got a problem. uh, The Republicans have a base problem. They are a party of essentially white, angry males, and they're doing their best to uh, make outcasts of anybody else from women to people of color. Uh, and you're all in on this Donald Trump stuff, which, you know, Donald Trump's not expanding uh, the network of supporters for Republicans. Nope. He continues to shrink it. So the base problem is far bigger on the Republican side than it is on the Democratic side. Further, I got to tell you, John, I don't think that America, we have a short attention span in this country, right? Yep. Where, oh, squirrel, Kim Kardashian. But at the end of the day, it's important that people remember that three years ago, this man almost threw over through the government, and now he is going to be the Republican nominee for president. And no offense, dude, but sitting here listening about you know the issues that have the Republican of the Democratic Party has going on from the Republican Party when you're nominating Donald Trump, it's not only insulting; it's it's mind blowing. Well, I wish the Republicans didn't nominate Donald Trump because I'd like us to have a nominee uh, for whom sixty percent of the country. You know, wasn't uh, diametrically opposed to. I mean, you look at the polling data. You get two guys here. It's a different 60% in both cases. But in both cases, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, 60% of the country thinks they shouldn't be the president. They don't want them. They don't like them. They wouldn't vote for them. So that's all got to be very interesting in the in the wash as it comes out. The point that I'm making is that uh, Donald Trump is a divisive figure. Donald Trump has a lot of things that uh, people, and including myself, are very uncomfortable with. 
But you cannot argue the fact that there are millions of people in the country that are passionate. They're going to show up regardless of the conditions of the weather or anything else to vote for Donald Trump. And I'm just not so convinced that there's that many people on the other side. Yes, I don't. I don't believe it. I All think right. there's a lot of people like myself who literally would go vote for your dog, your neighbor, your um, your grass cutter, anything. Yeah. Other than Donald. Yeah, Trump. Yeah, I mean, and and that's certainly going to be if Biden is the nominee. Biden's campaign's job is to make the election a referendum on Donald Trump. And it will be. Hey, Trump's job is to make it a referendum on Joe Biden, and somebody's going to prevail there. Here's a household name that's decided to hang it up. He's Blaine Luchtenmeyer. He's the congressman from West St. Charles County and goes all the way into Columbia, Missouri, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Used to be the old ninth. I think it's the eighth now or the the third. Mm -hmm. The third congressional district. Wow, we've really messed these numbers up. Used to be Dick Kephart's number. Anyway, uh, Blaine Luchtemeyer has decided he's going to throw in the towel. John, anything to look into here? Is this a man that's walking away because he's afraid of a Republican primary, or is this a guy who's done what he's needed to do? Yeah, I think it's the latter. You know, I've known Blaine for a long time. He's been in Congress since uh, 2009, and he's been rumored to be retiring for a number of years. Now, I'm a little surprised that it's now. He's right at the pinnacle of being the chair of the Financial Services Committee. In fact, he would be the next chair, replacing Patrick McHenry if he ran again. And that's that's a powerful committee, uh, and it's a it's a much sought after committee by members. So, from that standpoint, it's a bit surprising. But you know that that flying back and forth to Washington D.C. every week and working in Congress has got to have a large number. Of frustrations for the members, both parties, uh, for a host of different reasons. But it, it's, it can't be the most uh, – and and just look what the Republican conference has been for the last several months. I mean, it's – Chaos. You know, that's no fun, uh, that kind of chaos. And so uh, I'm not shocked that he's stepping aside. It's going to be a, a, a voice of consistent, conservative, reasonable voice that uh, has represented that Missouri 3rd Congressional District now for uh, – going on 16 years, and I think you're going to see uh, a pretty active and large primary field to replace him. Well, that's where we go. The speculation then turns to who's next. What's next? Do the Democrats have a chance? Yeah, it's no. a it's a, uh, a, uh, a suburban district, but it's mainly a Republican seat. It's uh, heavily red. Uh, if the Democrats were looking at a seat to flip, it would be in Wagner's seat over Blaine Lichtenmeyer's. And it's a lot safer now than it was before. And that appears to be safe as well. So the question is, who does pop up? Is this a MAGA seat or is this a conservative seat? Well, you're going to see, I think, all kinds of candidates. So the district itself is pretty interesting. You've got population centers on the west in, in Columbia and Jefferson City. Uh, but then on the eastern edge of the district, you've got a big chunk of St. Charles County. And a very fast-growing county in this particular region is Lincoln County, Troy, Missouri, up there. And that area has seen massive growth over the past decade or or so. So it's going to be the district definitely is going to have an east-west geographic content. I suspect you're going to see candidates from the eastern end of the district. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, former state senator Bob Onder switches out of the lieutenant governor's race and, and runs for this congressional seat. He ran for it in 2008 oh, and lost to Lutkemeyer. Uh, you've got state senator Nick Schroer over in St. Charles, who um, is a candidate that might take a look at a race like that. On the western side of the district, state senator Travis Fitzwater uh, who has uh, a good chunk of the western part of that district. And there'll be others, too, that may get in. Former Senator Kurt Schaefer out of Columbia is rumored to be looking. And I bet I'm sure a lot of people will look at it. I would expect there to be a four- to six-way primary, and then all bets are off at that point. What part of the district was Blaine from? Uh, Blaine was from St. Elizabeth, Missouri, which is a very rural, small town. And I think, uh, I believe... Blaine lives in the smallest town of any member of Congress presently. So he was part of the rural part of that. Well, the reason I ask is you do. You have two major population centers with Columbia, Jeff City, and then, of course, St. Charles. And uh, you mentioned a couple of people from St. Charles. Who knows how that all breaks down? But in the Republican primary, could it be a geographical thing, et cetera? We'll continue to keep an eye on it. Uh, It's hard to believe that... uh, 
We'll have a new congressman out there next year. And, uh, John, let's switch to some local local topics. So one of our favorite things to cover in the St. Louis area is the crime issue and the crime stats that particularly have come out of the city of St. Louis. You know as well as I do that the mayor and the police chief over the last two weeks or so have been taking a victory lap and talking about the fact that Crime stats are going down in the city of St. Louis. Homicides are down. Uh, And you know what? It's great. Uh, If that is the case, it sure is great. But some things uh, are causing people to scratch their heads. Of course, Ness Sandoval, a friend of the show, been on with us from Washington University. St. Louis. uh, St. Louis University has been complaining about the fact that the city won't turn over crime stats. The Post-Dispatch has been complaining about the fact that the city won't turn over crime stats. And, in fact, the city is saying... We don't have access to those crime stats. The Post-Dispatch and Ness Sandoval say they, in fact, do. Here's what I don't get. I maybe will buy the fact that crime is going down. It seems to be on that trajectory throughout the country. But does anybody anecdotally really think crime is going down? And number two, if crime is a, you know it was in the most desperate spot it is, let's not mask this and band-aid it. Let's find a way to actually fix this stuff or we're going to continue to see this region rot. Thoughts? I have a thought. Uh, you know, the ratings of the Hancock and Kelly show here at KMOX are uh, at historically high levels oh, right now. Yeah. And uh, I've seen the number. I can't release them. Uh, <laughs> but I've seen the numbers. They're uh, just unbelievable, yeah. really. Uh, in fact, counterintuitive, some may say. Uh, surely there's not a a chance that a show that's on once a week is going to have exponentially high ratings. But, no, it's it's true. I just can't release the data. That is essentially what's happening in the city of St. Louis. They, they're not giving the crime, the raw crime statistics, to people who study crime statistics for a living, like Dr. Sandoval, like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, our local journalists uh, at the paper. And can we have confidence when the city without releasing the raw crime statistics says crime's going down i've noticed the number of justifiable homicides is up that's a way to get the homicide rate down you know it's we live and listen to the news on a weekly basis more shootings in a city more deaths in a city more you cannot you cannot attempt to claim that this is a suddenly become so much safer release the data. That's all anybody wants. Release the data. What's more elusive? Uh, actually seeing the new police chief or seeing the crime stats? Well, he's going to give a press conference, I understand. What? That ought to be interesting. Oh, my goodness. What's but, it look like? Uh, I don't know, but under this ruling that just came down today uh, from the city health department, he'll be wearing a mask when Can he does so this? because there's a mask mandate. Back in the city. Groundhog Day, I say. Groundhog Day. We're going to talk about that when we come back after this on the Voice of St. Louis News Radio 1120, KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey, and welcome back to KMOX and Hancock and Kelly. Uh, We'll take you all the way to 11 o'clock. We'll be joined by Amy and Chris here in a little bit. Don't forget, Sunday, you can see us on uh, Fox 2 at 8.30 here in St. Louis for Hancock and the Kelly, the television show with Andy Banker sitting in between us. And I bet this will be a topic, John Hancock. Mm. Right now, dear employees from the City of St. Louis Department of Health, uh, Tashara Jones, Mayor. Who's the the Director of Health, Michael? Dr. Davis, MD, (laughs) uh, Director of Health, has said that... um, Guess what? Beginning today, 2024, the 5th of January in the city of St. Louis, employees will be required to wear masks indoors. Uh, With activity of winter viruses rising at such a rapid pace, we must take action to slow transmission and prevent a strain in our hospital systems. So, therefore, you got to start wearing a mask if you're a city employee. Thoughts? Yes. Um ridiculous. Uh, I, I would like to say this was brilliant, but it's not. It's ridiculous. And to think that putting a mask on a city employee is somehow going to thwart the spread of germs. and I, I, Haven't we learned this? And mask mandates do not work. People don't abide by them. You've got an eight. If you're sitting in an office for eight hours, you're not wearing a mask for eight hours. I mean, this is, and I, I'll tell you what. 
it, it's evidence to me that we have learned nothing from what was a disastrous policy in 2020 when and the, here I, you probably agree with me on the mask mandate being silly I'll just I do yeah um okay. yeah I, I, I just here's at the end of the day look if you want to wear a mask wear a mask wear a mask. You see those people in the airport all the time. They choose to wear a mask. Right. When we know better, we do better. When this first came out, we believed that wearing these masks would stop the spread of COVID. It didn't. We now have learned that it hasn't. Now, unless this is some new virus that we're unaware of, that a mask does stop it, or we don't know about the new virus, I'm open to it. But for us to continue to go down this pathway just doesn't make any sense to me. And you can't help but wonder if it's political. Now... It's interesting to me that you're like, haven't we learned? Haven't we learned? Yeah. Well, we got Republican Party who hasn't learned. They're well, still uh, voting for Donald uh, Trump. Still, still dealing with let some of Let me tell you what we haven't learned from COVID is that overactive government is destructive for us. And what we should have learned successfully through COVID by error, uh, trial and error and lots of error, is that you don't force people into a lifestyle change of wearing a mask that is, you know, not effective at stopping anything. That's one. But the main thing we should have learned, and I hope we've learned, and I hope we don't ever go back to this day, is that you do not shut down the economy of a city, a state, well, But I don't think country. that's happening, John. No, that's not happening. But I'm telling you, if they, can, if, if they think this is a good idea, you're one step away from well, closing businesses. And he, now hear me out. Hear me out. Because what we did— through COVID, uh, by shutting down our economy, uh, and then subsequently doling out untold billions of dollars to individuals and businesses, uh, has had a very devastating effect on our economy. Uh, long term, I'm talking about the, those PPP loans that went to everybody, and I mean just about everybody was getting PPP loans, and. Trillions of dollars that we're spending, well, billions of dollars, multiple billions of dollars that we're spending on these things. And then all of the special additions after we started to come out of COVID, the billions of dollars to the airline industry, the billions of dollars to the restaurant, and all of these businesses that we shuttered during COVID. Now the government's pumping all this money in there. And then the next wave, and that was all under Trump. And then the next wave was billions and billions of dollars to state governments and city governments. And we're still sitting on half a billion dollars in the city of St. Louis of this money that was just given out all over the country. And all of that was inflationary. All of it stimulated demand at a time when we had a supply chain shortage because of the pandemic. And the, the public policy idea of all of that was misguided, and we must never do that again. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. COVID was one of the biggest failures of Donald Trump. Uh, and, uh, Biden's, uh, Biden's not cleaning this. Uh, you know, I'll give Trump the benefit of the doubt. In that, oh, of course you will. In, in, the, in that, uh, he was acting on what I think was poor advice from Fauci and others. And, but— uh, but to make that same mistake then again, which which Biden exacerbated. No, but Biden wound up saying, hey, listen, we gave all this money to the world's largest corporations and every business out there. Regular people deserve their shot, too. Regular now, people I don't want to get into debating the, the money of, but, well, let's get back to the mask. Local governments Yeah, but John, you're wanting to people. relitigate something that there's blood on everybody's hands. And you all want to recreate this whole COVID thing as if it first... was a Biden situation. Biden actually fixed it. And it was it was no, Donald Trump who shut down the economy and put us in the place we're at. Now, here's what I don't get. These left-of-center folks across it. the country continue to push this mask thing when it doesn't have substantive facts to back it up. Right. And so it hurts their ultimate argument of, hey, stay home if you're not feeling well. This is different than the flu. The very things that we should be educating people to do were instead going and pushing a false narrative of this mask. And my concern over these kinds of actions, if the government now they're going to they're going to impose a mask mandate on city employees. Okay, that doesn't affect me whatever. But the idea the government can again try to dictate our behavior and dictate the state of our economic openness is dangerous, it's ill-advised, and government should not have the power to do those things in a free country, in a free market economy. 
And when you so disturb the free market economy as we did during COVID, you're going to pay the price for it. And the price for it was well over a trillion dollars of government largesse spilled out to businesses and governments, and that was wrong. Back to the matter at hand, which is the mask mandate here in the city of St. Louis, starts today, no uh, end in sight. Uh, You think this is just the beginning? You think this spreads? Uh, Dr. Sam Page was very active as it related to COVID stuff last year. Uh, Two, three, whenever it was. Yeah, but uh, nothing nothing coming out of St. Louis County to this point. (laughs) I remember he had the big mask mandate, and then they had the picture of him at the Blues game in the uh, private suite without a mask on. Uh, that was that was fun. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, these things don't work because people aren't gonna, you know. Some look, if you want to wear a mask, God bless you. Go, Have at it. Go put them. Put two of them on, just to, in case you want to keep all the bacteria. I didn't even and put a face shield over top of them if you want to. I, you know, I'm totally fine with that. I'm not totally fine with government mandating that behavior. Well, it's just not going to work. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. I was in the airport yesterday, and I would say what? That's Ooh. hard to believe. Now, yeah, wait a minute. Let's, uh, let's, let's mark the tape. You were in the airport yesterday. Yeah. Why were you in the airport yesterday? I was traveling, and oh. I when I was coming back, a couple percent of the people in the airport are still wearing masks. Two percent. I get it. You know, if you're an older person or maybe you're immune compromised, maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you're afraid of catching something you need to wear it. I don't have a problem with it. I think we've normalized mask wearing in this country uh, where it's acceptable that somebody could wear a mask. And I think most of us appreciate when people choose to wear a mask. Oh, I feel healthier. But then when the city or the state or the federal government without evidence, is forcing us to wear masks after what we've been through, I think it ultimately hurts the larger message that they're going to try to push over the next couple of months, which is that, look, the, what the, you know, if, we, if you're sick, stay home. We can stop this by not spreading it. Instead, they're going to focus on this mask, this cloth. You and your friends on Fox News are going to get all spun up. Donald Trump's going to go out and act a fool. And then here come the progressives. They're going to get even harder with the, we ought to wear masks everywhere, not just in city buildings. Well, masks, masks. I've got the solution here. If people would care to hear it. Would you care to hear it, Michael? Well, let's have it. So we've got all this money sitting over there. Okay. Federal government has just doled out all of this money. We can buy for every man, woman, and child in the in the city of St. Louis hazmat suits. Ooh. And you just you so you you put your hazmat suit on when you go to work in the morning. Now, if you're in a car by yourself, you can take the hood off. Uh, but once you get out of that car, you put your put your hat back on, cover your face, you got the hazmat. Nothing's gonna mess with you. These little COVID germs out there, whatever they are, not going to penetrate that hazmat. Let's buy hazmat suits and mandate that. Now, there's a well, – and then you'd have a fashion statement. Ma- you could decorate the hazmat suit. You'd have little paintings on it, you know, little – little uh, uh, what do you call them? The little polo player guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Little well, Tommy Bahama? Listen, it, it, I, I get that you're being silly, and uh, I, I find it to be humorous, but the reality is, is we're still sitting on that money, and they haven't spent it. COVID was four years ago. Mm. We have this money in the city of St. Louis. We have a crime problem in the city of St. Louis. Apparently not. Infrastructure that's deteriorating. So we have time to put together these types of press releases telling you that you got to continue to wear a mask when we know that doesn't work. Yet the money that we have to rectify what happened as a result of COVID, we still haven't spent. Boy, we need to get our priorities right. Four three six seven nine hundred. If you want to get in on this thing, uh, give us a call. Otherwise, we're going to move on and uh, take our mask off and. Come back after this break here on Hancock and Kelly on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy New Year, St. Louis. You're going to want to keep it tuned to KMOX over the next week or so. You've heard about the pending snowstorm that may be coming next week. Blizzard like conditions. Ooh. You'll want to keep it tuned Swirling to KMOX. We'll keep you updated, and if you're one of those kids uh, on the school uh, waiting list, uh, I say you're off. Um, simple as that. Don't, you know, it's going to snow. You don't have to do your homework. Well, but they, they got them on the virtual now. Yeah. You, you, you have to dial into your teacher or whatever. John, we were discussing the fact that the city of St. Louis in 2024, that's right, January 5th, 2024, today has issued a mask uh, advisory. All city employees must wear their masks Inside city buildings, 
Uh, one would ask if this is going to spread to St. Louis County, but typically St. Louis City and County had been making these decisions together. Uh, the mayor and the county executive had kind of been lockstepped. Nothing from St. Louis County yet. We'll sit and wait. Yeah, we'll sit and wait. Uh, Larry joins us on the uh, caller line. Larry, welcome to KMOX. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, this isn't tied to your uh, mask question, but kind of because you were talking about monies. And <clears throat> I keep wondering, where's the money Where's the money going that uh, the Rams gave the city? It seems like there's just no accounting. If you're well, running a major corporation, right? you'd have a monthly financial statement. People would know what. Well, it took them. It took them a month or two to put the money in an interest-bearing checking account. So I mean, that they finally got that done. Uh, so far as I know, the, they've not spent. No, the Rams. well, so we're we're caught in that classic St. Louis quagmire yeah. of. Maybe we should do a study. Well, they're asking the people how they want to spend it. Yeah, let's let's talk to the people. And I don't think they're getting the answers they want. Yeah. uh, Because I think they're getting police uh, and crime. But I think they were really hoping, uh, Megan Green's been doing a survey, that they would get a little more of the social stuff. And, well, they're you know, talking how can about we solve... uh, turning the old city workhouse into a museum for uh, crime. Or a dog so, shelter. How about a, how about a crime museum? I Wait, can't they're going to turn the city, muse- the city workhouse into a museum? I've heard that one mentioned, yeah. Good Lord. That's, I mean, is there a better place to have a crime museum, though? Uh, St. Louis. We've got, we've got, the, we've got the blues uh Music, uh, you know, the great, Blues Museum. Yes, wonderful. We got the Scott Joplin the History House. Museum. We got the History Museum. We got the Crime Museum. We, and with us, have a crime. See museum. a crime on your way into hearing about crimes from the past. There you go. Okay. No, uh, good question on where the Rams' now, money is, but uh, they don't. have not been spending it. So, you know, I'm not a big government guy, Michael. I, You're I, not. I like limited government. Oh, huh, okay. Uh, but there are appropriate places for government. Give us a couple of uh, to, examples. Well, one uh, like a woman's vagina, you should be involved in that. No, that's not what I had in mind. Oh, I thought that uh, was uh, what was I had in mind. Is it came in here? You know, the working the week between Christmas and New Year here, which you and I did, uh-huh. uh, was well, it was wonderful because you would come in <laughs> to the parking garage, and there would be nothing but open parking spaces everywhere. Parking uh-huh. everywhere. Yes. You could park. Excellent point. If, if a person wanted to take two parking spaces with their car, they could do it and wouldn't offend anybody. It was lovely. So coming in here this morning on the 4th of January, 2024, the garage lot was pretty full, Michael. It was. It was like going to the uh, uh, workout, uh, the gym, uh, you know, the first yeah. day after the new year. And. You know, these people are driving these ridiculous cars now. Massive SUVs and these, these F-158 tank yeah. truck things. V-12. Yes. Uh, uh, and, uh. and the parking spots are tiny. Yeah. I mean, to get your car, and, you know, I've learned you can't, you can't drive your car at a 90-degree angle. No. It's not possible. Uh-uh. And so you line up on the spot, you got to kind of swerve into it. You right. know, you got to miss the car to your left and you got to yep. miss the car to your right. And then, and then you, you know, if you, I'm not always straight. And it's, I wonder, is there any law that regulates the width of parking spaces? Because there should be. Well, there definitely should be. And there's sometimes you pull into, so I don't know about, uh, Brentwood, uh, is, is, Notoriously bad for this. That target. Parking oh, that, that that I will. I go have there. literally been inside the yellow lines on each side of my car, and not I've able to open the door, and not able to open your door. Yes, you're kind of constricted in there. Yes, and uh, you know why they issued that variance that allows those parking spots to be that size. But it, it does feel like that parking spots are getting smaller. Is it because the actual spots are getting smaller? Or the cars are getting bigger. I think it's both. Uh, hello. It's like the it's like the seats on the airplane. You know, I used to be able to fit in that sucker. <laughs> this guy, the guy parks next to me in the building I that I live in in the West End. Yeah. He's got an F one eighty, you know, semi hemmer and you know all that stuff. I never seen a car that's longer. It is so long that he doesn't even completely fit from front to back. And the thing, I mean, I don't. And then you got to maneuver around that sucker if you're trying to park your car. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, uh, do we have a, a listener that wants to visit with us, James? Oh, somebody wants to get in? 
Steve? Steve well, let's talk to Steve. We All just right, have a minute, but uh, I'm How? sure Steve has something very pertinent to say and add to the conversation. Steve, you're on KMOX. Gentlemen, I love you guys. I listen to you as much as I can on Friday. Well, we love you, Steve. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to give kudos to Kelly for the vagina comment, and it goes right to task with you, Mr. Hancock, yeah. and your diatribe about mandating, mandate, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and why can't we talk about abortion? We're going to use that this year in the election cycle because, you know, we're dictating a, a one, half of our, over half of our population what they can do to their bodies. All right. Well, there you have it. Well, Michael certainly is an expert on the subject. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Steve, for your comment. No, I think what he was pointing out is you all like to talk about no government, no government. No, oh, wait a minute. We're going to talk about a woman's health care. I got to get involved in this one. Government. Government needs to be here. We, uh, I have plenty to say, but. We got to step prohibits. aside because uh, Victor we're going Goins to from Jazz St. Louis is coming in. They're going to have a tremendous fundraiser coming up in February. We can't wait to tell you all about it after this on KBOX. Hey now. It's men's Billikens basketball action Saturday as they face George Mason. Pre-game 12:45. Tip at 1. Hear the game here on your home for Billikens basketball. KMOX. Music nuts, you ready to geek out? We got something really special going on right now. Jazz St. Louis has an event that's taking place at the Chase Park Plaza at the end of February, and two of the biggest names in jazz will be then be there, Winton and Bradford Marsalis. John Hancock, we've got Jazz St. Louis in studio. We do indeed. Victor Goins, he's the president of Jazz St. Louis, president and CEO, and he's right here. And what an honor to meet you, Victor. Tell me about this gala that's coming up. Be here, and our gala is actually going to be on February 21st and 22nd. On February 21st, we will be in our very own house, Jazz St. Louis. Oh, nice! Doing a gala, and Wenton Branford will be there for that one. That one will host 190 uh, people, and then on February 22nd, we'll be at the Chase Plaza Park Hotel, Ooh. and that was in, is intended to be able to bring the, these two fantastic artists to St. Louis to really have our entire community participate in that one. There'll be tier seating of, of various prices for tickets and whatnot. So we hope everybody will be able to attend. Let's get the, uh, let's get the mandatories out of the way. Where do people go for information? They can go to jazzstl.org forward slash stars. And that will give them ticket information. So the Jazz uh, St. Louis venue is very intimate. Um, I saw a vibe player there this last year. I can't remember his Probably name. Probably Joe Ross. It was. And he was that was sweet, man. Yeah, fantastic. And, and he's in the sit, club right now. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, you sit up. I sat up in the balcony level and got to eat and have a glass of wine with a little table in front of me, you know, yes, and look down on the stage. That venue is phenomenal, folks, if you haven't been there. Well, I say with uh, eliminating ego, and I've traveled the world, and I think it's the best venue in the world. Yeah. I mean, the acoustics are Marvel. I mean, everybody just, has a front row seat. Yeah, exactly. So the Marsalis brothers, how'd you get them in St. Louis? That's a good get. Well, I, I happen to play with one of them, which is Winton Marsalis. Yeah. I play with Jazz on Lincoln Center still. I've been in the band for 30 years. But we go back a little further than that. Winton and I went to kindergarten together. Wow. Branford is a year older than me, so I've always admired him as a saxophone player and a musician. And we've, I have a long relationship with the family. His father was my teacher. I is worked that right? With his father as well, yes. Now, was his father a full-time musician? That's what he did. He, he was music. Yeah, wow. Yes. And that's New Orleans, man. I mean, that's uh, really the birthplace of jazz music, at least as, as we know it today. Correct. Ellis Marcellus touched so many musicians, not just in New Orleans, around the world. And everybody came to him to seek advice, and, and they usually left with uh, not only more advice, but a better person than when they came here. How's the contemporary jazz scene now? Are you seeing a lot of young musicians come along and, and really hone their craft and, and be able to support themselves with the style? Absolutely. I mean, the level of musician that, that um, is entering into the jazz scene is, is increasing more and more in terms of talent and volume. And uh, we could do a, a lot of work in terms of creating more opportunities and venues for people to play in. But the talent pool is very, very high. And the ability for musicians to uh, be able to support themselves, I think, requires the musician to take an ownership uh, role in it as well in terms of realizing how much is enough. That's the question I would say. You know, how much is enough to survive? For me... Survival is based upon happiness, so it's not based upon the dollars. Mm. Well, and making music, man, is nothing, nothing like making music right. for the soul. Uh, 
So jazz, you go back, would you say that jazz was more born out of the blues than it was, say, ragtime or even going back to folk music traditions? Well, you can go way back to the uh, the early marching bands when um, they took that music and it, they did what they called rag the rhythm, yep. played with the rhythms and whatnot. And um, ragtime as a style is is... Jelly Roll Martin, Yubi Blake, and all of those type of players. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, um, I think Jelly Roll Martin, as, as we were talking about a little bit earlier before the show, he he um, he's one of the first people to codify the music and write it down for other musicians to play. So he took what was potentially being played in a ragtime piano style and began to write it for his bands. So from there, it began to evolve. New Orleans, we claim the birthplace of jazz because it was a, a central location where everybody has come to agreement to say that's where it or originated from. I always say, you know, we didn't have the Internet. Nobody really knows where the sea started at. It's We shared a fleur de lis here in St. Louis and New Orleans. We right. have this river that goes up and down. People were traveling the river. So there's a lot of places that probably had jazz going on at the same time, but... New Orleans has been agreed upon as the birthplace. Yeah, I mean, you go back, uh, the birth of American popular music, I kind of trace back to the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, and then certainly the 04 Fair here Uh was a a seminal moment. Improvisation uh, was not part of American music until jazz came along, really. I mean, I guess you saw some with the blues, Certainly ragtime, at least in the hands of a Scott Joplin, was meant to be played right. as written. Yep. So how did improvisation kind of come in, and what's what's happened with that improvisation over the course of jazz history? Well, um, to, to put a, a, a point on the map and say where it started, is very, very challenging. We, we weren't there. But I think it came about through people's day-to-day lives. I always talk about music in the terms of how we live. And people are improvisatory, improvisatory individuals, yeah. meaning that if something is not in the format that it is right now, we do whatever we have to do to get to the next destination. So I'm sure, and, and I imagine some musicians along the way, just started to take the music and play around with it. In fact, we said, we play music. We don't work music. We play it. Yeah. We want to have a good time with it. And as they started to play with it, they started to reshape it and put their own identity into it. Then it allowed for everyone to have a part in it. And fortunately, we had great leaders like Louis Armstrong yeah. in there and, and Buddy Bolden and, and so many other great musicians along the way. Sidney Bechet, Duke Ellington, we can have a roll call right now and, and still fall short. And as they started to put their stamp on and be leaders in the music, then other people started to improvise as well because... If you look at the word improvisation, the root of it is improve, and the musicians are constantly trying to improve the And music. jazz as a genre has just built block on block, and every succeeding iteration of jazz gets more expansive and moves Absolutely. off in different... It's, 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 it's a beautiful, it's a uniquely American musical form. Uh, the voice is an instrument. Uh, I'm thinking about Louis Armstrong and, yes, and scat singing and using the voice. Oh, do, yeah. do you know the Do you know the origin I of the scat? Know, I know, was yeah. it he, Was it heebie-jeebie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tell yeah. that story. The, the music fell off the stand, you know. And Louis <laughs> Armstrong, being a creative individual he is or was, he decided he wasn't going to stop the take, so he just started making things up. Deep, up, oop, up, oop, and 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 then scat began. Yeah, that was it, man. <laughs> it's uh, now Quentin and uh, Brandon. They're going to be performing all original works. They're going to do a, a mix of things. Yeah, for for this concert, I don't know what Winton and Branford are going to play. To be honest with you, but what is unique about it is that they haven't played together on a gig that is theirs in over three decades. Is that right? What? That's right. In over three decades, because they've had careers that have gone their own ways. You know, Winton. Took his career and then ultimately became um, the person he is with Jazz on Lincoln Center. Branford, after leaving Winton's band, of course, we all know he went the path of Sting. He's played with the Grateful Dead and so many others. So their paths have taken different directions. So I I, I feel really, really um, fortunate to be able to bring them back, if only for two nights, to be wow. able to play a gig that is unique to them. So. My role was to bring them together. Their role is to decide what they're going to play. What's, uh, it, what's it cost? The cost for our gala in the building on February 21st, the tickets start at $1,000 a seat. Nice. But at the Chase Plaza Hotel, they start at $50. We have $100. We have, uh, I think it's $250. Then we go to $500, and we have a dinner seat for $750. And it's it's jazzstl.org? Jazzstl.org forward slash stars. What do you spend the money on? 
Well, look, the, 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 that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. It's for our programming at Jazz St. Louis. We have, we have community engagement and education programs that are, are really at no cost to any of the participants that come and be a part of it, especially our students. We have two programs in the building that are called Jazz U and Jazz Academy. Those are for elementary and middle school kids, Jazz Academy, and then Jazz U is for our high school kids. It's at no cost to them. All things are paid in terms of transportation coming mm-hmm. there. The, the teachers that are there, meals that are there for them, it's all no cost. If you have a child or grandchild that you hear that they may be musically inclined and they seem to be taking a liking to jazz, is is Jazz STL a resource jazz, for people to, right. to educate their little ones? Just keep saying jazzstl.org. And, and, and reach out to us and let us know we're looking for you. Uh, we're located at 3536 Washington Avenue, right in Grand Center. We're right now the greatest secret in the world, but we want to become the greatest known thing in the world at Grand Center. It's a wonderful venue. I've had the honor of uh, sitting in there for concerts. It's a tremendous venue. Victor Goins, the president and CEO of Jazz St. Louis. The event is February 21st at Jazz St. Louis and February 22nd at the Chase Park Plaza. The Marsalis Brothers in concert for the first time in decades. Good luck to you. Thank uh, you so much. Blessings, and we'll be back with our NFL Insider after this on KMOX. All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. The National Football League enters its final week of the season. It's going to be big. (laughs) What? (laughs) That was your preview. (laughs) Yeah, so you're right. Uh, we're going into the last oh. week of the season. So many. Do we have things our out. NFL insider. Our NFL insider. I thought maybe work might have intervened, but uh, no. John Hancock from Chicago, Illinois. Our NFL insider. How are you? Talk to me. Hello. He's not talking to me. All right, turn that off. <laughs> Michael, it's well, going to be a big uh, week. Junior uh, talking to us. So it is the final week, John, and so many things are still laying out there. A lot of wild cards. Lots up. of wild cards, and uh, our Kansas City Chiefs don't seem to be the team that uh, they were last year, that's for sure. Our Kansas City Chiefs? Buddy, we are the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs here at KMOX. Did right. you not know that? I guess I did. Yes, yeah, I, I mean, we get touchdown, Kansas City. Don't you like hearing that? Oh, I can't. I touchdown, can't Kansas City. Can't, can't Who's like your team? Here. I'm thinking it's Baltimore. Uh, no, no, I'm not a big fan of Baltimore. Um, you know, I'll tell you who I kind of like this season is uh, is the Niners, man. Really? And I think the Niners may go. Now, uh, they had a little hiccup a couple of weeks ago, but uh, – but that's a good loaded team, and the defense is strong. But they the weapons they have on offense are just incredible. Sleeper team to keep an eye on. Biggest. They, they're one and four in the last five weeks, and everybody's writing them off. The Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. I'm telling you, the Eagles. Well, the Eagles play the Giants this weekend. Right. Eleven and five Eagles at the New York Giants. Five and eleven. They can go to twelve and uh, continue to. Rack up those wins. You have Cowboys and Indians going at each other this week as well. Uh, that'll be the afternoon game on Sunday. Uh, not much excitement there, but the biggest game of the weekend, John, the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins Sunday night football. That's a rematch. They played earlier in the season, and Buffalo absolutely annihilated Miami. Miami is a team that had a lot of sizzle uh, earlier in the season. A lot of people were picking that offense, uh, dynamic offense, to to make a deep, deep run in the postseason, I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced that that that's there. I think the I think the Baltimore Ravens are the team to beat in the AFC. Uh, they're going to have home field throughout, so uh, I, I look for the Ravens. I think it's a Ravens Steelers Super Bowl, and the Ravens. I never. I'm sorry. Ravens 49ers Super Bowl, and the Ravens just beat the 49ers uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, that's what we're looking at, I think. Yeah, I think this is the three best weeks of uh, professional football. You have the last week of the season. There's so much riding on it. Then you have the wild card, so you get Saturday and Sunday football. Then you get the divisional round um, after that. So this is the time that it gets great. It also means that uh, winter's coming towards an end, uh, and uh, things will start to warm up, and we'll get back to – some summer sports sports and the boys of summer. It won't be too long, John, that we'll have winter warm-up here in downtown St. Louis. Some Coming new pitchers right 
Some new pitchers will be uh, uh, getting their first gander of the St. Louis crowds. Three and maybe four new starting pitchers. We'll see. Uh, there's a report written by um, in The Athletic that says Dylan Cease, the White Sox hurler, might be uh, a candidate to come to St. Louis if the trade value is right. Wow. Well, that would be good. We're still in need of a pitcher or two. Do you agree? I think one more star. Well, if you can get a Dylan Cease at the top of the rotation, then, yeah, that's uh, that's a good get. I still think they need to address the back end of the bullpen, which we've not really done yet. Uh, and, you know, the thing about relief pitching in baseball, it's so fickle. Guys can be lights out one year and come back the next year, and they just can't get anybody out, you know, and you don't know what you got. Andre Pallante a couple of years ago was great out of the Cardinal bullpen. This last year, not so much. And you're not reliable when you bring him in. And you got a guy like Jojo Romero that came up late and was really good down the stretch for the Cardinals. But you don't know that he's going to be able to replicate that on a, over the course of a full season. So I do think uh, at least one more late inning option in the bullpen is necessary. And I'd like to see the Cardinals add another Frontline starter, that's going to cost them because they'll have to trade. May cost them Nolan Gorman, the slugging left-handed power hitter. Uh, but I think that pitching staff, if you can get to where Sonny Gray's your number two starter, now all of a sudden, with the lineup that the Cardinals have, they could be a real force in the National League, even given what the what the Dodgers have done. Uh, the Braves are still quite a good team. Jordan Montgomery's still hanging out there looking to get signed by a team. Yeah, I don't see that one. Um, he's he's going to command a pretty hefty amount of money, and he's a very good pitcher. He was very good for us last season. Uh, did a fine job for the Rangers. I suspect the Rangers will bring him back. But Montgomery's a good, solid pitcher. He's not a number one. Dylan Cease is a number one, uh, top of the rotation kind of arm that – could really just transform the starting rotation and give the Cardinals arguably one of the best starting rotations in baseball. Think about that from where we were last year. Unbelievable. And let's not forget about the frozen fellas. That'd be the St. Louis Blues. Boy, they're on fire since they fired a coach. Have we got a new recipe for victory here in St. Louis? Well, they looked awfully good last night. I don't know if you had a chance to see the game last night against Vancouver, who is a red-hot club, a hockey team. Uh, they've won, you know, multiple games and had won multiple games in a row. The Blues showed up last night and they beat them two to one. Uh, and then they, frankly, they outplayed them. They outshot them. They outhit them. Uh, they were the Blues were incredible in the faceoff circle, which is a big part of the game. And you know, I like what I see out of this team. And and there's some very good bright spots. This Robert Thomas, who's will be the Blues representative to the All Star game. Um, now a fourth-year centerman who's really come into his own, great two-way player. He's uh, scored his team-leading goal, a game-winner last night, and he's he's the real deal. And the, and the Blues have some good building blocks here. Uh, they're not a Stanley Cup contender this year, but they're not far away. Nothing more exciting than going and seeing hockey live and in person. I haven't been yet it this year. Fun. Have you? No, I have not. I'm going to find an excuse to take you to the hockey game. Hey, that's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're going to stick around uh, for the next hour with Amy and Chris. Of course, you can hear us Monday nights right here on KMOX. We do Hancock and Kelly late night on Mondays from 8 to 10 p.m., and then, of course, on Sunday mornings, John, 8.30, Fox 2, Anthony Banker sits between us and moderates Hancock and Kelly, the television Yeah, the show. nice thing about Monday nights is we really don't do politics None. much. We just kind of have fun and chew the fat and see what's happening. He's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. Thanks to Frank Glad, our magnificent producer, James O'Sullivan, working skillfully behind the control board. It's Chris and Amy together again up next on Camo X.